going to invite you to stand with me, if you would. We read the scriptures together, and uh, I, we are in a sermon series on the letters of the book of Revelation. Revelation is the very last book in the Bible, and we've been going through Revelation all summer. We're almost ready to come to a close. Those of you who are saying, I can't handle any more Revelation, we're almost there, almost there. So we're reading today uh, the words of John and uh, the message of Jesus to the church. So I'll read it aloud. It'll be on the screen. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up! Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. Now, those of you who know Uh, the stories of Jesus. Jesus told a story about coming like a thief in the night, and Peter talks about it in his letters, and Paul talks about it in the other parts of the New Testament. And you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I'll never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels." Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing. One of the interesting things about uh, my job as a pastor is that I deal with the public. And um, so I I see, uh, and anybody who deals with the public, whether you're a plumber or a pharmacist or a dentist or a receptionist or whatever, whatever that job is, or a teacher or an administrator in a school, you deal with the public, and uh, what you find when you deal with the public is that people are really weird. That's what you find. Uh, there's uh, one of my favorite uh, titles of a book. I've never read it. I don't think you have to read it, but the title of the book is Everyone's Normal Until You Get to Know Them. Right? That's kind of how it is in dealing with the public as a pastor. Right? You, just, you see all different kinds of people, and you find out that people have different values, and they have different understandings and different experiences, and, and most people walk in uh, to a setting where they're dealing with a person, you know, if they come to a receptionist, and they, they kind of project their values and experiences onto that person and assume that everyone is like them. But if you deal with the public, what you see is everybody's different. Everybody comes from a different perspective, and uh, everybody has a different uh, set of values. And, uh, but, and the reason for that is that all of us have uh, an operating system, uh, that's a computer metaphor, uh, if you understand how computers work, how now phones work, how new TVs work. There's an operating system that makes it work. Uh, back in the day when computers were, were young, I'm old enough to, to remember uh, some of this, uh, there was uh, uh, an operating system that was called DOS. And DOS, some of you still have, how many of you, you work in a place you still use DOS, right? There's a couple of you? Yeah? Okay. And uh, what DOS is, it's a green screen, it's dark green, and then the letters are all light green, and that's all it ever looks like. There's no little icons to click on, it's just this crazy thing. And when I was in in college, uh, they had a computer lab, because no one could afford a computer for themselves. That's crazy. That's crazy talk. And so you would go to the lab, and you would have to write your paper on, I'm writing papers on the Bible and theology and leadership and all this kind of stuff, and you'd have to save it every 10 minutes Because if it wiped out, guess what? You could spend four hours. I did it. Four hours. And then you would lose everything. And you would think you're like, I'm quitting. I can't take it. It, uh, Because it was a terrible operating system. It just just didn't work at all. But every person 
uh, has an operating system. The, the operating system comes from the values and the experiences they have, and that influences then how they see the world. Uh, I grew up, uh, if you've been around, you hear me talk about this a lot. I grew up kind of all over the place. I uh, was born in another continent. I've lived all over the United States. My dad was a pastor. And, um, and, and so for me, from my experiences of life, that's just normal, right? Change happens and things are different and you meet new people and uh, you find out different things about places. Uh, and then I met, when I went to, uh, to, to college, I met my, my beautiful, lovely, precious wife. And uh, she's the youngest of five, and um, she, uh, along with her other four siblings, um, all of them lived in the same house, went to the same elementary school. They, they live in the house that her mother still lives in today, right? And, and the same house, same elementary school, same junior high, same high school, same college, all five of them. And then she meets me, who's been everywhere. So ask me what counseling we needed as a couple when we first got married, because my operating system and her operating system were different. Can I get an amen from anyone who has tried to be in a relationship, right? Someone's like, yeah, what's wrong with you? Your operating system's all screwed up, right? So, but that's the reality of all of us is our operating system influences and dictates to us how we think about ourselves and how we think about life. This, this operates in every area of life. If you grew up Catholic, you have an operating system that's based on that, and you just assume some certain, certain things. I, I still have, it's, it's kind of interesting to me if you don't understand the difference between dominate, denominations and whatnot. This is a Protestant church. Some of you are like, you're what? Um, <laughs> but, but if you're Catholic, I still have people who grew up Catholic, and they'll say to me, hey, Mass was really good today. Now, if you're, if you're not a Catholic, you know what I'm talking about if you grew up in the church, right? Their operating system dictates, if you grew up uh, like I did in the Church of the Nazarene, the tribe of churches we're a part of, there's certain expectations you have. If you grew up Baptist, if you grew up nothing, that, that dictates how you see things and how you, what you think is possible. Um, and, and, and last week we talked about growing in character, um, the letter we looked at last week. And if you're going to grow in your character before God, then you have to become aware of how your operating system affects other people. It's growth in character. Um, there's a famous saying that says, he who is good with a hammer thinks everything is a nail. In other words, we try to take our operating system and assume that everyone else ought to be just like us. But growth in character means, oh, wait, 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 that's just how it is. Now, here's what I'm, here's what I'm asking you to do today. Uh, I want to ask you to change your operating system to the operating system that God wants placed in every human heart and mind and body, and here's the operating system of the Bible, okay, for every human being, is that you and I would be holy people. Just say the word holy out loud. Say it with me, would you? Holy. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're pretty holy. Yeah, okay. Uh, this, this, is, uh, this is the repeated message throughout the Bible from the, the beginning chapters to the very end is that you and I God intends that you and I would be holy people. Living a holy life would be the operating system that dictates our values and experiences and how we treat people and how we interact with people. Uh, In fact, uh, again, this letter uh, that Jesus sends to the church in Sardis, ancient Sardis, a real place that existed, uh, 
he, he quotes uh, the, this thing about, you know, if you don't, if you don't change how you do things, I'm going to come like a thief in the night. And he's referencing back again uh, to, to a story Jesus told about, you know, his coming, if you're not ready for him, will be like a thief coming into your house when you're unaware and you were asleep. And, and Peter picks up on the same thing. And this is what Peter, who was one of the first disciples of Jesus, this is what he says. We're going to put it on the screen for you here. He says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Same, picks this up from Jesus. So then this, notice what he says. Because that's going to happen, because that's a reality, because if you're not paying attention, you're going to be surprised. What kind of people ought you to be? Uh, what, another, what kind of human being do you want to be? Notice what he says. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of the Lord and speed its coming. In other words, the expectation, the, the desire, the intent that God has for you and me is that we would live holy and godly lives. The operating system that God wants to put into you is holiness. And so this is the thing that God wants you to become. He, he wants you to become a holy person. Now I have to, I have to pause right here and I have to rescue that word for a minute because the minute I said that, uh, you probably had a visceral reaction. And you probably had a visceral reaction on one of three levels. One, uh, most, most people think that's, like, uh, that's an irrelevant word. Who, holy? What are you even talking about? Uh, so you might say it that way. I don't, that doesn't even make sense. This doesn't even compute in today's age. Who, 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 who tries to be holy? Isn't that mean you're trying to be better than somebody else and prove that you're holier than thou? Isn't that what you're, you're attempting to do? Or uh, you see it as unattainable. Maybe you grew up in church and you were told to be holy, and, and in your view, that meant you had to hold your hands and sit very still and sit up very straight and not say bad words, and uh, you had to help little ladies cross the street, and whatever it was for you, and it just became this unattainable thing in the, the, the rush and press of real life, and you finally just said, that's just stupid. <laughs> that's not even attainable. No one can do that. That's for something, for people like priests and pastors who apparently have a lot of time on their hands, and they just talk on Sundays for an hour, and that's all they do. And they got time to be holy, so I don't. Too busy. That's not what I do, by the way. Uh, when the Bible's talking about being holy, it's not talking about something that's, either of those things, irrelevant or unattainable. It's talking about your approach to your everyday life. Or this is the last one. This is the one that usually um, people jettison, because we all want to do this, is they say, well, if, you live, if you're holy, you're not fun. You're boring. Uh, I, and here's, here's what I want to tell you. I, I know some people that I would class, the only word I could use to describe the relationship they have with Jesus and the way they live their life is that they're holy people. And those whole, is truly holy people uh, that defy all the categories that you and I would put on that word from our own experiences and our own misunderstandings, um, they're not uptight. They're full of grace they, they're able to laugh at themselves. They don't take themselves seriously. They're deeply respectful of other people. They're not driven by anything ugly. Now, let me just ask you a question. If you could be that list of things, would you want to be that list of things? That's what the Bible's talking about when it says that we're to live a holy life. And I actually know some people that are like that. And you know what? They're incredibly fun to be around. <laughs> so this letter, though, is, is, is so harsh. It's, such a, it's, just a, it's probably the most um, harsh 
uh, uh, implication of a church uh, of all the seven letters. And, and it's, he starts out and says that Jesus is saying to the church in, in Sardis, you have this reputation. In other words, what people know you for, that you're alive. You're this alive church. Oh, that church is so full of life. They're so fun. They're so alive. He said, but if you listen to what God says about you, you're not alive. You're dead. You're absolutely dead. And, and I, you've got to pause here. Ask the question we asked last week. In the final analysis of everything, whose opinion matters the most? Well, if God's opinion matters the most and he says that this church is dead, uh-oh. Then that also means that we have to look at ourselves because we're the church and we have to say, okay, well, what's God's opinion of me and my spiritual state? Am I alive or does he look at me and say, man, you're, you think you're alive, but you're dead. Uh, so then what, what Jesus does in, in the letter is he goes on and he tells us why we're dead. He says, wake up, strengthen what remains is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Now let me explain to you what's going on here. They, they had stopped doing the things that God had asked them to do as a church. And there is something that God expects of every church and of every person who is a Christian, things that he asks them to do that they had stopped doing. And here it's in, it's in two words, and I'm going to have to unpack this too because you're going to go, what? Uh, this is what they'd stopped doing. They'd left, they, they just kind of dropped it by the wayside. and like, It's not that important. They were not doing um, good works. They weren't doing good things. Now, I, I got to pause with that <laughs> because this is, what, this is what the Apostle Paul says about good works. Um, he says this in Ephesians chapter 2. We'll put this on the screen. It's by grace that you've been saved. God's kindness, the word there means a gift. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It's the gift of God, not by works uh, so that no one can boast. Let me say it to you like this. I am not made right with God by what I do. It's, I am not made right with God by what I do. God's grace is what makes me right with God. Salvation is a gift from God, not a paycheck for my work and effort. Are we all clear on that? But then Paul goes on and he says this. He says, for we are God's handiwork created, in other words, the purpose for which God put us on planet earth, created in Christ Jesus to do, what's the phrase? I think it's on the screen. Maybe not. To do good works, uh, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, I am not made right with God by what I do, but once I'm made right with God, God has a lot for me to do. Did you hear that? Let me say it to you again. I'm not made right with God by what I do, but once I am made right with God, God has a lot for me to do. Keep going to that next slide. We'll get there. Okay, well, we'll get it. Uh, in other words, Christians are, thank you, those guys are awesome. They have a tough job keeping up with me. Uh, Christians, in other words, are do-gooders. Uh, that's why uh, of the majority of the hospitals and uh, homes for people in trouble and homeless shelters, anywhere on the globe, do you know who started them? Christians. Uh, the agencies, the majority of agencies, when there's a, a desperate thing that happens somewhere around the world who mobilize and send supplies and people and are ready logistically to make a difference, do you know who those people usually are and what motivates them? They're Christians. 
uh, Christians are do-gooders. Well, you might go, well what, well, what are we supposed to do? Am I supposed to go start a hospital? What are you, what are you saying? No, I'm not saying that. Um, a, a great place you could go is you could go to the prophet Micah in the Old Testament, very famous verse, uh, and this is what he says. I, I think we might have this on the screen. He says, you has sh- he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You're like, what is God expecting of me? What are the good works that I'm supposed to do? Well, I'm supposed to be about doing justice. Showing people mercy for the circumstances of their life. And being a person who does it all with humility. Those are the good things we're supposed to do. And, and the church at Sardis had started out. And then they let it drop. And what God has prepared in advance is for us to do those kinds of things. The church exists to do good works. It's part of the reason that we exist. And Sardis had left them sitting on the table. And so what this passage does, it gives us the signs of a holy person. And the signs of a person who's not holy. And the signs of a holy person are that they are awake and clean. I'm going to explain these. And the signs of someone who's not clean uh, or not holy is that they are asleep and they are dirty. Because he says, wake up. You're asleep. Wake up. You've soiled your clothes with evil. Wake, stop doing that. Uh, so let's think, let's think about those things for a, a second together. Um, when you are asleep, what, what's happening? Well, when you are asleep, you are like me when I, because I'm a very hard sleeper. And when I sleep, I have no idea what is going on around me. Someone could come into the house, steal everything I own, take the covers off of my bed, and I would still be asleep because I am dead to the world when I am asleep. Maybe you sleep like that. You are not, when you're asleep, you are not aware of what is going on around you, and you are in, usually, uh, in your own dream world. Right? You, you either have uh, uh, terrible dreams or great dreams. I had this dream when I was a kid when we lived in Africa. Uh, we, the house we lived in um, that was a missionary home had this brick wall on the outside that had these old school bricks with holes in them and you could climb up the wall. I don't know how else to describe that to you. Um, but you could go around the wall. And so one of the things I would do is I would, as a kid, as I would climb up that wall and then I would, for fun, run around the wall because I had nothing else to do and there was no phones, right? So what do you do? So uh, I would climb up the wall and then I, at night I would lay down a vivid, vivid memory uh, that I would have this dream and I was a, a, around that wall and all the monsters from the book where the wild things are were chasing me around the wall. <laughs> ah! I'd wake up in this panic. Like, ah! and, and when you're dreaming, you have that. All the monsters come out when you dream. Or you have a fantastic, have you ever had one of those dreams and you wake up and you're like, oh, can I just go back to sleep? I get back to, oh, that was such a great dream. <laughs> Everything was, all of my dreams were coming true. <laughs> And when you're a dream, when you're dreaming, when you're asleep, you're, you're detached from reality. And then when you're asleep, usually, you're in the dark. And, and the, the, the metaphor that the Bible uses and, and that John uses here is that the dark is where people are robbed by, by thieves. The dark is where People hurt other people. The dark is where you don't want to be. Paul writes to the Christians in Thessalonica, one of his letters in the New Testament. He wrote several letters, and one's called First Thessalonians. I think you might have it on the screen. Uh, he says, again, he picks up on this thief 
theme. He says, you brothers and sisters, you're, you're not in the darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. Listen to what he says to about, about us. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But we belong to the day. Turn to your neighbor and say, I belong to the day. I belong to the day. I belong to the day. Because it is in the dark, it is in the dark, that metaphorical darkness, where we pick up the dirt. And, and John, Jesus is saying to the church in Sardis and to some of us, listen, you're in the dark, and that's where you associate with things that make you dirty. And, and, I, and he's not talking about the good kind of dirt when you've worked really hard and you've earned a good shower. He's not talking about that, that you're proud of how hard you worked and how dirty you are. He's not talking about that. He's talking about the kind of dirt that pollutes your soul. Some people who've lived here all their life have told me stories about how um, decades ago at the, the mills there'd be a time when a, a siren would sound and if you were playing outside, your mom would come out and say, come inside, because there was all this stuff falling down from the sky that they somehow knew was not good for small children. It's that kind of dirt. It's the kind of dirt that pollutes you. And, and the dark is where you get the dirt. And listen, it's the dirt that causes your hurt. Did you know that about yourself? It's your dirt that's causing your hurt. Why are these bad things happening to me? More often than not, it's because we're in the dark. And that's where we get dirty. Um, some people run to, the, they run to the darkness and they run to the dirt because they see it as an escape. Often from pain, often from things they don't like. And, and But here... I have yet to find someone who became an alcoholic and it fixed the problem they were running away from. I, I haven't found that person yet. Uh, I have yet to find someone who uh, they were like, well, you know, I think porn will make my marriage better. I haven't found that person yet. I, I've yet to find the person who became an addict and, and, and that made their relationships better. They were hurting in some way, and so I, I just haven't found that person yet. And I've yet to find the person who became a person who just gossiped and talked about other people, and that made them somehow more trustworthy. I, I haven't found that person yet. And I've, I've yet to find someone who got revenge on someone, and they became a bigger person for doing it. I, I haven't found that person yet. It is your dirt that causes your hurt. It is my dirt that causes my hurt. And, and this, this was a church that was asleep and dirty. And the beautiful thing, though, is that that is not what God wants for us. God wants us not to be asleep and dirty, but God wants and makes provision for us to be awake and clean. What, what does it feel like when you're awake? You know, when you're really awake? I'm not talking about you didn't get enough sleep and you woke up grumpy. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about one of those days like maybe tomorrow you have tomorrow off and you get to sleep in a little bit and you wake up and you feel so refreshed and the sun is shining and the sky is bluer and the clouds are prettier and the grass is that kind of awake? You know what I'm talking about? When you're awake, you're aware and you see. 
And, and what God wants for you is that you would be aware and that you would really see. You'd be like the husband who wakes up to the needs of his wife or the dad who wakes up to the needs of his kids or the person who wakes up to their need for God. Those people, they, they become aware and they begin to see. They, they, it's the words of the Paul wrote to the, the Christians in Ephesus. He says, wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. They're awake. There's light. Everything starts to make sense. That's what God wants for you. And then to be clean. What's that? Again, it's the same thing as you, the good dirt. And you come in and you take a shower and you clean yourself and you come out and everything's nice. I, I'm, I'm really, uh, really particular about this, but I like clean sheets. And so I wash the sheets often. I, I, maybe, maybe it makes me obsessive compulsive. I don't know. But it's just nothing like getting into clean sheets. Can I get an amen? No, I'm just, all right, there you go. Thank you very much. That cleanness, that feeling where everything is fresh and alive and free, and you're like, oh, this is how you're supposed to feel. This is the thing that God wants for you. It's, it's the feeling that an addict gets when they come clean, when they get clean. It's the feeling that someone has when they've been, they've been cheating their company and then they come clean and then like that weight is gone. It's the feeling... It's the feeling that a mom gets if you've got a little kid and the little kid throws up on you. <laughs> and then you clean up and you're like, oh, okay. And you get to hold that little kid against your chest and love them. So I'm, I'm trying to paint the picture for you that being a holy person means that you're awake and you're clean. Not, you get to leave behind asleep and dirty you get to that actually gets to be something in the rear view mirror of your life and instead what in front of you is oh i get to be awake and i get to be clean now listen what do we do about this well we have to take again the advice of the bible because the advice of the bible is this right here it's first thessalonians chapter 4 verse 3 uh the apostle paul says this it is god's will say that with me god's will God's will. It is God's will that you be sanctified. God's will is what God wants for you. If you go to the gym and you hire a trainer, the, tr the, the will of the trainer is that you would be healthy. It's what they want for you. God's will is what he wants for you. He wants the best for you. That word sanctified means uh, to make something holy. God is holy and we are made holy, and we decide that we will go that way, and so we surrender our life to God. That's the beginning of being a holy person who's awake and clean. In other words, we, we wave the white flag of making the decisions in our life, and we, we decide, uh, you know what, I give up. Um, I, I'm no longer in charge of my life. God, you are, and we surrender to God's Holy Spirit. Uh, you, do you know, I, I, I hated English. I did. I despised it. Um, but I did learn a couple things in English in, in high school, and I learned the difference between an adjective and a noun. A noun is a person, place, or thing. And an adjective is a word that modifies a noun. Like there's a child, and there's a grumpy child. Right? There's, or there's a husband and a grumpy husband. It, uh, modifies. It describes the kind that it is. And so it, it, we're, we're all animated by some kind of spirit, right? It might be an angry spirit, or it might be a bitter spirit, or it might be a Baptist spirit, or it might be a political spirit. 
if, if you use the modifier as the thing that describes what animates you, then that's the kind of thing that you become. And so if you're, if you're motivated by an angry spirit, guess what you're like? Guess what your character is defined by? Anger. If you're motivated by a bitter spirit, guess what you're, guess what you're defined by? Guess what your character is like? Bitter. If you're motivated by a political spirit, guess what defines your character? Your politics. But the beautiful, wonderful message of Jesus is that we can be animated by God's Holy Spirit. So if we're animated by God's Holy Spirit, then what begins to define us? Right? We become holy people who are awake and clean. I, I, I have a very firm conviction that the holy you is the best version of you. And that somewhere in us, we all want that best version of ourselves. And the best version of yourself is the holy you. And, and a, a, a holy person, is, this is my definition, okay, is a person is who is whole because God heals, begins to heal the stuff. It's not an overnight process, but God begins to heal the stuff that's inside of us that drives us to do dumb things, takes us down wrong paths. And that's a person who's holy and completely committed to God. Like they know where they're headed. They know whose opinion matters the most. They have a solid direction in their life. And when they get confused, like we all do in life, they know who to listen to. They're whole and they're wholly committed to God. Listen, 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 I hope you hear this. That is the best version of you. And it's the version that God has always wanted you to become. And God gives you his Holy Spirit so that you can become that. And I'd like you to make progress on that today. Because what, what uh, Jesus says to the church, he says, well, okay, if, that, if, if, the, if the dirt and the darkness and being asleep is what defined you, then what you need to do is you need to remember the things that God gave to you and you need to repent. You need to change your mind and say, you know what, you're right, God, you're right. That is a better version of myself. I want to change how I've been thinking about my life. And you could do that today. So here's what I'm going to do. Um, I'm going to invite you to pray. I'm going to invite you to, um, you just sitting right there, uh, however that works for you, if you want to bow your head, if you want to close your eyes. And I'm just going to, I'm going to just kind of guide us in a, a prayer time and ask you, to take the step deciding that you want to be a holy person. I would invite you, this is your moment, this, no one's looking at you, they're having their own moment. I would invite you to take an inventory of your life. Where have you been asleep? And where have you been flirting with the dirt? And I would like you to just tell that to God. He already knows. You admitting it is part of being free of it. You just say, God, I, I want to change my mind about those things. And I want to do this differently. And then I'd like you to ask God, to just say, okay, God, would you show me how beautiful it would be if I, was, I lived awake and clean? 
that doesn't mean you become self-righteous. It means you become humble. And just say, God, I, I right now would like to surrender my life to you. This is, for those of you who have been Christians for a while, you know this is a daily thing that we do. We don't, we don't make this decision once. We make this every day. But maybe for the first time you would say, well, I'm always going to, every day I'm always going to make that decision. And so right now, God, I want to surrender my life to you. I want to wave the white flag. I've been in charge and I'm not doing so hot. And I need your help. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Come all the way down, all the way in, and all the way through me. God, thank you that you never, uh, um, you never forsake us when we are a mess. Um, when, when we're broken, you don't reject us. You take us. You love us. And, but you love us too much to leave us that way. And you have a better operating system for our lives. And so, God, we want to move in the direction that uh, you want us to move in. We want to be holy people. We want to be awake. We don't want to live in a dream reality. We want to be clean. We don't want to be hurt by the dirt. We, don't, we want to be free of that. And so we need, we need every bit of the power of your Holy Spirit to do that. And so, God, here in this moment, we surrender ourselves to you. I surrender myself to you again. You're in charge. Your Holy Spirit is beautiful and good. Has nothing but healing and purpose and joy. And so we receive all of that. And we say thank you. Thank you. Thank you for meeting us right where we are. We pray this in your name. All God's people said, amen. I invite you to stand with me. We always leave you with a blessing. And you'll see people around you holding out their hands. It's just their way of saying, I'd like to receive that. If you're comfortable with that, great. If you're not, that's okay. And you can just receive this blessing. You're sent now to love God, who's holy, and has the power to make you like him. To love people, because that's what holy people do. And to serve the world, because that's what holy people do. You're sent now to do those things. Hug someone, tell them you love them. Our prayer team's down front if you need prayer. See you next week.